0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. A commemorative plaque in her hometown reads, Called the Moses of her people during the Civil War, with rare courage she led over 300 from slavery to freedom and rendered invaluable service as a nurse and spy. That's what it reads. But how much of it is accurate? The N. Let's talk about Harriet Tubman. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1849, Elizabeth Blackwell became the first woman to earn a medical degree in the United States. California applied for statehood and the first wave of gold prospectors rushed in. It was a big year for patents on things we know, the safety pin, the envelope-making machine, the breech-loading cannon, the modern gas mask, and there was one device that was never manufactured. It lifted boats over in-water obstructions, But it did make Abraham Lincoln the only U.S. president to ever hold a patent. The Austrian army conducted the world's first airstrike when they used pilotless balloons to drop bombs on the short-lived Republic of Venice. Anne Bronte, Dolly Madison, Edgar Allan Poe, Frederick Chopin, and the 11th president of the United States, James Polk, all died. Poet Emma Lazarus was born. And in 1849, a slave named Harriet Tubman yearned to breathe free and made her first trip on the Underground Railroad.
1: Araminta Ross was born sometime in the early spring of either 1820 or 1822 in Dorchester County, Maryland, the fifth of the nine children of
0: Harriet Ross and Ben Ross. The consensus seems to be 1822. One historian nailed it down to March 15th, 22. But I only saw that in one spot.
1: Um, There is a midwife (laughs) bell or something that seems to refer to that March 15th, 1822 date. So we refer to her age, um, that is what we're dating it from. Okay. But during her lifetime, she gave her birth date as anywhere from 1815 to 1825. So
0: nobody knows. (laughs) Not even her. (laughs) Um, Wow. We're like one paragraph in and already we're like, don't believe everything she says. True. She was a storyteller.
1: Both of Minty's parents, Minty, that's her nickname, were slaves, but they had different masters. How was that working, you ask? Well, Papa belonged to the owner of the plantation the family actually lived on, one Anthony Thompson. And Mama, who was always known as Rit, her real name was Harriet, writ. She was the property of Mr. Thompson's stepson, who was only a child, who of course couldn't be in charge of his own affairs. He had inherited slaves and land when his mother died, when he was around nine. And so his stepfather was managing his property, including human beings. So Ben, And Ritt were able to have a relatively stable relationship for about 14 years. Ben was in charge of timber production out in the woods. He was making all the money, by the way, for the owner. And Ritt worked inside the big house as a cook. The older children were hired out for their labor, which is a source of torment. More on that later. But at least they were in the neighborhood and close enough that they could travel home for occasional visits.
0: And be a family. I think that's important with this particular family because they were unusually close. At this time, children being ripped away from their mothers and sold was not unheard of. It's something that was really common, and it was a threat that hung over their heads So we know that slavery has been a part
1: of American history since its inception. We even talked about the other end of the slave trade with our episode on Queen Nzinga, which is episode 80. Uh, She, the queen that protected her people from the slave traders in Africa for so many years. But we would like to give you a tiny bit of background about what happened in the decades right before young Minty was born. That will help put her story into context. The United States government in 1808 had put an end to the importation of slaves. No more international slave trade, which seems like and was, of course, a giant step forward. But there were some consequences for Minty and her family and people like her that we want to examine. Eli Whitney and his cotton gin had caused sort of a gold rush of cotton plantations in the Deep South. So There's no more new slaves. The only source of free labor now was current slaves and their future children. And unfortunately, the economy of these mid-country states like Maryland, where Minty was born, and Kentucky was not what it once was. So what this meant to the enslaved people was if their owner had a crop failure or a bad head for the lumber business or got drunk and lost at cards or even just felt a thrill of greed, there were the Georgia slave traders like sharks circling around ready to pay top dollar for human beings and abracadabra all of your financial worries were erased. Hey, presto. But if you were a slave, your worst fears came true. The fear, the gripping fear of being sold down South was very real, especially in border states. There was always some vague hope of escape or northern
0: influences softening the master's heart to free his slaves when he died mama and her children had all been inherited like this legally they couldn't be sold out of the state of maryland it was part of the will that gave them to edward's mother although edward's mother had died and edward got everything so he has these slaves they can't be sold out of maryland And they're supposed to be freed when they're 45. That was the condition of the will. When each one reaches the age of 45, they're supposed to be freed. That was a pretty common condition in Maryland. But down south, no one was going
1: to respect that. Down south, you are slaves for life. The tension... In this area, between slaves and masters grew. Desperate white men were selling their slaves. Desperate enslaved people were risking it all by fleeing to the north in larger numbers than before to avoid being sold down south. Some were caught, publicly punished and then sold south as examples. There were slave rebellions, which fueled the fires of fear among the white people. The most famous, of course, is the general massacre of white people in Haiti. There was one closer to home in Charleston, South Carolina, which would have involved thousands of slaves revolting, but was thwarted by loose lips. Ironically, the plan was at the end, after they had laid waste to their immediate environment, they were all going to take ships for Haiti as a refuge. The main boss was a man named Denmark Vesey, and at the time, this rebellion was called The Rising. So we will provide you some links in case you would like to fall down that particular rabbit hole. This rebellion happened when little minty was only two years old so we are actually within the lifespan of the subject of today's episode one more factor we would like to discuss before we actually move on to her life maryland had the highest proportion of free black people of any state in the united states upwards of 40 percent of the black population in maryland was free by the time that Minty was born. And these people were seen as a bad influence on, you know, the obedience of their slaves. Imagine that when you have something to look at, like, how come I can't be like them? Regulations were tightened on free people of color's rights and movement. Assemblies of people of color were outlawed. Honestly, you would get suspicion, even two friends chatting on the street on their way back from the market were suspect and you could be stopped and questioned. Masters actually replaced Bibles that were used on their plantations with heavily redacted ones. I'll give you a link. There's a museum called the Washington Museum of the Bible that has a slave Bible. All that stuff about Moses leading his people out of Egypt, gonzo. There's a lot of uh, heavy-handed focus on the virtues of submission to your betters, and that kind of thing. But like censorship everywhere, it backfired. Most slaves couldn't read anyway, by the way. And they had an oral tradition of storytellers and songs. And people will find out about freedom, my friends. Yeah,
0: one book isn't going to do it, that's for sure.
1: So it is in this atmosphere of change,
0: fear, and suspicion that Minty grew up. And the family was together for about 19 years as Edward... Rit and all of her offspring his owner grew up, but eventually he's going to reach maturity and something's going to happen. So, the, every year they got closer to that, they wondered, you know, are we going to go with him somewhere else? Are we going to be able to stay together as a family? What's going to happen? It, there was so much uncertainty. Every single year. And Edward's personality didn't actually make them feel better about it. He was kind of a party lad. He was a dandy dresser. (laughs) Party lad. (laughs) He was sent away to school. So he wasn't there very often. He was extraordinarily entitled although he didn't really have the money to back up all this. He was being supported by his stepfather. The only other uh, relationship like that I could think of was like in love, actually. Daniel and Sam. You know, Sam was Daniel's stepson, and the mother died, and they their bond grew close. Huh. I couldn't think who that was. I was like, who is that? It was a cute part of the story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Brodus, young Master Brodus, finally came into his inheritance, and sure enough, Mama, Rit, And five of her children were moved to his new establishment, which is 10 miles away. Nowadays, our grocery stores are 10 miles away, like whatever. But 10 miles in those days was a giant obstacle to family togetherness.
0: The stepfather, Mr. Thompson, had before Edward reached maturity, had a house built on it. It was a small little house, but he had a house built on the property. He had part of the property cleared. Ben was probably involved in all of that, making this place where his family was going to end up going to. So if
1: it's inevitable that your family is going to move here, I wonder if it's more or less comforting to have been involved in building your family their new home. Had to be sad. I mean, he had to know what's going to happen. Minty was about two. When the family had to move and really oughtn't have any memories of the old place from her childhood, which was very, very, very short anyway, Minty was able to play with the other little children for a few short years. They might have toddlers out occasionally acting like live scarecrows or carrying water, which is not fun at times, but mostly um, the little children got to play around When
0: Minty was very young, she was put in charge of watching her baby brothers. And one of her favorite games, she said, was to take the dress of one of them and play pig in a bag and swing him around, which as a mom, that totally freaked me out. But she thought this was the most fun game ever. His name was Ben. He comes up a lot in this story.
1: (laughs) My goodness. Well, and you know, you have a four-year-old watching the two-year-old and the baby.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know if you're going to be expecting, um, you know, Mary Poppins-level nannying. No. (laughs) But, ironically that I say that, at the advanced age of five, a neighbor came by the big house, and there was a little bit of a conversation.
0: Suddenly, Minty had to leave the cares of childhood behind. She had been hired out. The wife of Edward, her name is Eliza, she actually made Minty a dress because she didn't have a dress to go off in and you can't have a rental looking shabby showing up at someone's house. A rental. That's pretty sad and a pretty accurate assessment of
1: her status, really. A rental. Anyway, Minty was sent away to the house of a neighbor who had a new baby, one Ms. Susan, no relation, (laughs) who set her the job of first cleaning a room. Well, she's never been in a white person's house, much less been trained how to do housework. So she wiped everything and then swept. Like you do when you don't know how to sweep or you just blow it everywhere. So what happens? The dust fell back.
0: And Miss Susan came into the room and it didn't look like it had been cleaned at all. Miss Susan's method of teaching Minty how to take care of this was to take the whip down that was hanging over the fireplace and whip the poor child, telling her she was lazy and not doing the job right. Do it again, she said. So... Again, untrained Minty does it even with more gusto, bringing up even more dust that settles back down. Susan would come in, inspect the job that appeared not to have been done, and she whipped the child.
1: Yes. Beating the living crap out of a five-year-old is really good technique to get a clean room. Minty was only saved, this time, by Ms. Susan's sister stopping in. Just come on. You cannot treat a child like this. You have to at least teach her how to do it before you assume she's lying to you that she's done it. And so the sister, the other white lady in the house, who wasn't the mistress of the house and really had not that much power, stopped what she was doing and came and showed Minty that you have to be kind of a gentleman you sweep and, you know, what order to do things in and how to make sure to do a job that Miss Susan would accept.
0: So she learns how to clean. Her other responsibility is taking care of the baby.
1: After a stressful day of displeasing someone with a hair-trigger temper all day, the five-year-old Minty had to make sure the baby didn't cry at night. Now, as the mother of a colicky baby, I'm here to tell you it is an impossible task for, say, a 34-year-old woman <laughs> with an espresso <laughs> machine and NPR. It's hard at babies cry. If the baby made one peep in the night, and she was so small, she couldn't even hold the baby. She had to sit on the floor. That's how little she was. So if the baby made one peep, in came Miss Susan with the fire of hell with her special small size whip. Can you imagine this? On one occasion, Minty was whipped so often before breakfast on the back of her neck, the blood soaked her dress, and the sister had to come to make sure Miss Susan didn't kill her. Minty had those scars on her neck for the rest
0: of her life. Even a 5-year-old is going to have had enough at some point. One day, Miss Susan had turned her back and Minty spied a bowl of sugar. She'd never had sugar. She wondered what it tasted like. So she gave a little try just as Miss Susan turned around. Instead of getting yet another beating, Minty ran out of the house before she could be whipped, ran down the road, found a pig pen where she could hide out for 5 days. Pigs can eat
1: you. Pigs are very dangerous when they're big. And you're delicious, by the way, and fresh meat. What does this say? That a small child would rather take the
0: chance of being eaten alive by a farm animal than live in your house. Not only the danger involved, but I mean, it is, she's not in any place nice. She's living in the mud.
1: So eventually she had to give up and go back and take her punishment and Eventually, Miss Susan had had enough. She was useless. She was worthless. She was stupid. And you have to take her back. I'm not paying one more penny about this situation. So then she was hired out to and I'm sorry, this is a quote, poor trash who didn't know what was what and couldn't afford a grown person. Well, Minty was put to work winding yarn and um, basically holding it up in the air for a Mrs. Cook who was a weaver and needed
0: an assistant. I think the idea behind all this was that Minty was going to learn how to weave, a skill that would make her more valuable being rented out in the future. But Minty just couldn't get a hold of it or she didn't have the temperament for it. I mean, sitting still doesn't sound like something this very active young child can do. And that's what she was supposed to be doing and failing miserably at it.
1: They fed her on table scraps as if she was some kind of dog. And she just slept curled up on the kitchen floor without even a blanket. She would suffer from the cold so badly that she would put her bare feet into the fireplace ashes just to keep warm. And the woman she served was impatient, worse than Devil worse Prada, and said she'd rather have
0: no help than Minty, frankly. So she was sent outside. Where she liked it a little bit better, but her job was to go into the marshes and set muskrat traps. That's a very dangerous job. I mean it could snap on her, right? Her job is to check the traps and set the traps. Not much better. It wasn't much better. She just
1: basically had this dress was just a long linen shirt. There's no shoes. She's wading in water so cold she'd break the ice as she waited in it. Minty, after being outside for a couple of weeks, became very, very ill. She got so sick and suffered so much that Mrs. Cook actually gave her a blanket. Mama... Through the grapevine, had heard what was going on, and begged her master to send for Minty so she could nurse her at home. And it really took Minty six weeks to get better. She ended up with bronchitis and pneumonia um, after the treatment she had gotten over there. And the second the master and the overseer saw Minty outside, back she went. Though Mr. Broda stipulated that his rental was not to be used to check the lines outside. His merchandise was inside only. Well, it was a big failure. Minty's temperament was not fitting. Mrs. Cook was too impatient. And she was sent back home, which to me doesn't seem like a punishment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but she could also land anywhere else. So they tried again.
1: This house, that house. There was one house where the mistress would beat her routinely and sort of on a schedule. So Minty got smart and started putting on all her clothes before that time would happen. And then when the mistress would beat her, she would yell as if in pain
0: because they just want to hear you yell. That is really smart. There's no question that Minty is an extremely intelligent child. So after a few more failed attempts
1: at trying to make Minty into a household worker, everyone forgot about it. And by 10 or so, she was mostly working
0: outside. She was working as a field
1: hand. We're still talking about a very young child here. So she was often with either her father or one of her brothers, at least with other enslaved people and away from white ladies. That's the key. <laughs> no kidding. She grew to her full height of five feet tall. That's a grand height. she began to wear a woman's dress and head wrap you grow up quickly in a place like this but she was so much stronger than she looked as early as this when she was only about 12 watching minty lift a sack of corn became quite the amusing party trick for the white people oh (laughs) yours is coming white people you just
0: wait (laughs) (laughs) Might be a couple decades, but you're going to get it. So she had gotten all those beatings from these families. I mean, she's got scars. She's had broken ribs. But the worst injury that she ever had was accidental. A critical event with a couple
1: of different intros. You'll read that everyone is singing, sitting around during a husking bee, a way to make work fun. The fall that Minty was 12. One of the men just suddenly, out of the blue, took off running down the road. The overseer was caught off guard. Wasn't everyone singing just five minutes ago? And he took off running after him. And the story goes that Minty took a back way into town, I guess, to try to warn the slave he was in danger. How did she think to make it in time? Anyway, the more plausible story is that she had been taken into town by one of the house slaves, one of the old aunties is how they put it, to help carry the old auntie's purchases back, which actually fits very well with her previous story of strength.
0: So we put her in the store, regardless of how she got there. The Bucktown Village store, which is still there. You can see it. She's
1: in the store. There's a runaway slave. The runaway slave was trapped in the general store by the overseer. He decided he had to bolt for it. And he pushed the overseer and ran out the door. Minty was told to grab the slave and tie him down. But she refused to do it you know, grab hold of him, stop him from leaving. And nothing happened. I don't know if it was refusal. Exactly. I kind of have an interpretation that she was kind of an innocent bystander that didn't completely understand what is happening rather than someone who's purposely being defiant. It reminds me a lot of the whole dusting thing. She wasn't 100% sure what the right course of action was. She just showed up in the doorway. And, you know, when you come from outside and you're kind of trying to see what's inside, you can't mm -hmm. see. She's just standing there dumb. She has no idea what's happening. She's just there shopping.
0: Okay. In all the stories, the same thing happens. The white
1: man picked up a weapon nearby, this heavy two-pound weight off the scales that the grocer used for his merchandising and flung it after the runaway slave. And in a piece of abysmal timing, Minty stepped
0: into the doorway and she got this thing full in the face. Her skull broke. Blood was everywhere. So they carried her back to the main house, put her on the floor where she kept drifting in and out of consciousness, bleeding all over the place for a whole day before she was back working in the fields blood mixing with the sweat. How do you do that? How do you get an injury that bad and get up the next day and work in the fields? Even worse,
1: from a slightly longer term perspective, she had said that her head wrap, which is, as you recall, probably dirty and sweaty, a piece of her skull had broken inward and that cloth got stuck and had to be kind of manhandled out of the wound So Mm -hmm. you've got uh, infection risk now and there's no level one trauma center. There's only a piece of floor and a little bit of time.
0: And an owner who realizes that her value has plummeted because she's broken and injured. Not only she have this injury, but for the rest of her life, she's going to suffer from you'll read either narcolepsy or epilepsy. Either way, she'll just fall asleep right in the middle of a sentence. She'll just drop off and you just have to wait for it. You can't wake her for the rest of her life.
1: She um took a long time to recover. She was generally, I guess you'd even call it catatonic throughout most of the rest of the fall, going through the motions. Like through the winter she recovered somewhat, but she was subject to those fugue states and she had blurry vision, constant headaches, like you would, and strange visions. And some head injuries cause things like a lack of fear response. I fell down a rabbit hole about brain injury. <laughs> uh, and what happens when you hit it where? It was pretty needless. There's a thing called bilateral amygdala damage that would cause that lack of fear, which is interesting to me given her future career. Um, traumatic brain injury... Short answer, every brain's different. Every injury's different. You just don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know what's going to be affected. What didn't happen is a sail down south. As spring came, Minty went to work on a lumber operation with her father. And this master, who was a man named Stuart, made a deal with her, which I think is pretty great. Okay, young lady, do X amount of work. And then whatever you do over that, you can just keep the money for. I'll pay you instead of your owner for the extra. That was pretty good, I thought. Obviously and indisputably, it would have been better if he had paid her for the whole thing. But we all know that's not how this thing works. And I think within the system, That was a surprisingly generous offer. Mm -hmm. She saved enough money from this deal to buy a pair of steers, which she rented out for people to haul things with and break new sod with. And she kept that money too.
0: So that's a silver lining from the injury, sort of. She didn't get sold. She ended up with and master who made a deal with her as a human being that she could get paid. Another silver lining, question mark, of this injury is those vivid dreams that you were talking about, the flashes of light, sounds that she heard. Minty interpreted that as having visions. She believed that she was now a prophet and God was talking directly to her. That's powerful.
1: And I did say this during the Joan of Arc podcast, and I'll say it again. I am, of course, not a believer in anything like that. But the subject, whether Joan of Arc or Harriet Tubman, believed so strongly that it affected her behavior and it affected the behavior of those around her. So the cause of her confidence was not important for the purposes of our story. Mm-hmm. The actual, the cause of
0: it was getting hit in the head <laughs> You want to backtrack it <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, that is true I'm yeah. not, I, do, I mean, I don't want to discount the power of hope That was critical to mm-hmm. the rest of her life So, Papa's master died Which is always a time of extreme stress In a slave's life What would happen to you? Sometimes it's better the devil you know The heir is going to be maybe a monster Or need money Or who knows what Mr. Thompson had always promised to free Ben when he turned 45. But a promise to a slave was like cotton candy dipped in water, it was just apt to disappear. Luckily, The son, Dr. Thompson, was honorable in this way, and judging the best he could from the records, gave Papa his freedom when Minty was around 18. And um, he continued to work for Dr. Thompson for a wage and stayed near his wife and children. His day-to-day life didn't change that much, but he had the pride and the joy to know that he was a free man.
0: At some point in all of this life that Minty is now leading, and you can't really pinpoint it because she is subcontracting herself out, she's all over the area. She's working in timber. She's working in the field. However, she can subcontract herself out. She's taking those jobs. She's meeting a lot of people. She's learning how the communication within this larger community is happening. So at some point in this part of her life, she meets a man named John Tubman. Now, John was a free man. He was a free man since birth. Born and raised in Georgetown County, he was established there. He was described as, quote, a dark-skinned mulatto, John was 32 to Minty's 22. Something happened. They fell in love. Why he would marry a slave who was owned by someone else is a question for all eternity. It had to be love, right? I mean, she could be sold out at any point. She couldn't necessarily live with him like a married couple normally does. Their children would not be his children.
1: Yeah, children for over 100 years have followed the status of their mother. Any children that Minty had would be a slave and their lives would be in control of Mr. Brodus, Minty's master and not their own father. And in fact, Mr. Brodus could disregard this marriage at any time. You know, he didn't discourage it because after all babies equal money ultimately. So that's why Mr. Brodus went along with it. And it is tantalizing to me to see John Tubman in this history, hear his famous name and then have the trail go dark How did they meet? Was it true love? I think it must have been because there was evidently a surplus of free women of color in Maryland for some reason. And he could have picked more straightforward, easier relationship. (laughs)
0: Definitely. If it wasn't love. Yeah, I agree. It had to be. But Minty was different than any other woman he probably met. She was very spunky. She was adorable, I have to say. She was (laughs) smart. She was feisty. And maybe he loved that about her, that she was different. Whatever the reason, they did get married. So her
1: husband's free status and that of her father inspired her to hire an attorney to look into her mother's, and therefore her own, legal status. What slave would reach in her pocket, get out $5, which is a lot of money, hand it to a white attorney and have him investigate her legal status? Who would think of doing that? That's amazing to me.
0: It is. And further. He went back in the records trying to find this original will, and he went back so many years and he couldn't find anything. So she said, Go back farther. I mean, she's directing him. She is pressing him. Keep going back farther. It's got to be there. You're going to find it. Family lore says this document exists. It exists. You need to find it for me.
1: Well, she's the customer. I know. (laughs) I know how rare that is. I know how (laughs) rare it is. I'm just saying. Yeah. And he did it. The document was found, and unfortunately, there was some iffy wording, which made it possible for the white owners to squeak by on legality and not free Mama. Mama had been deeded to Mr. Brotus's mother as her property until the age of 45, but since it made no specific reference to freedom at the age of 45, so sorry. So it's a technicality, and I'm sorry I can't press them on it. Not only this technicality had kept her mother a slave for 10 years now, past when she should have been freed, but the wording of that document doomed Minty and all of her siblings to a life of slavery, and she could do exactly nothing about it. Two of Minty's sisters, Lina and Soph, had been sold to the Deep South already at least one of them, right away from her children. And Minty began to think of giving herself her own freedom, since no one seemed to be able or willing to help her. I am just going to go north. I'm going to follow the drinking gourd, the Big Dipper. Two of its stars point to Polaris, the North Star, which is, I didn't know this, too dim to really pick out by itself. That's why everybody uses the Big Dipper.
0: Oh! I did not know that either. A little
1: rabbit hole. But um, it was a powerful symbol of freedom. In fact, Frederick Douglass's newspaper that was published a couple years before this was called the North Star. That's his newspaper's name. It was common enough knowledge that if you are going to take your life into your own hands, that's your guidepost. It was about this time that Minty changed her name. She took her mother's name, Harriet. Harriet. Sources don't agree. Was it to symbolically state that she was about to shake off her chains or did she, as some sources say, not change her name until her foot actually touched the free soil of Pennsylvania? Either way, Harriet was her new name for her new life and the one that we know her by back from first and second grade. So from now on, we are going to say goodbye to Minty, as much as we like that name, and hello To our friend Harriet Tubman.
0: That sounds like a really great place to take a break. And when we come back, we'll find out what Harriet Tubman does with her life.
1: We are back. The rumor mill started again. And what was at the top of the list? What was the headline news? Well, that Harriet was the next item up for bids because Master Brodus was short on cash again and he was looking for some liquidity. And so, with such a fate as being sold south, coming ever closer, Harriet knew that it was time to start making some tough decisions. And old JT... John Tubman was surprisingly unsupportive of her dreams.
0: (laughs) He had no reason to leave. But Harriet did. So she prayed. Now, remember, she's an extraordinarily religious, a spiritual woman, and she believes that she's getting messages from God. She prayed. She prayed that Edward's heart would be changed. She prayed for forgiveness from her sins. She prayed for her freedom over and over. The Bible tells her, pray without ceasing. And that's what she did.
1: Yeah, she she changed that up. If you aren't going to change this man's heart, then you need to kill him and get him out of my way. And he did. An answer to her prayers. Oh no. Magic.
0: Well, she did feel kinda guilty. I can see that. <laughs> I, I can too. She was putting a lot of effort into her prayer time and to say that and to have it actually happen. <laughs> Whoa! Now his wife, Eliza, is her owner. Eliza is also saddled with all this debt that Edward had accrued over the years. He was a crappy money manager. He was borrowing and spending well beyond his means. He owed everybody. And now Eliza and their eight children were saddled with this debt. And there's Harriet next in line to be sold. Well, I gee,
1: I wonder what's going to happen. It's time to take a chance. It's now or never that she has to make a run for freedom. And she said, I had a right to one of two things, liberty or death. If I couldn't have one, I would have the other. She was determined. Even though she had to leave her parents and everything she'd ever known, it was time to go. She and two of her brothers took off in mid-September, the year that she was 27. Can you imagine how scary this trip would be? There are gangs of men just itching to get hold of a runaway slave. That's their whole joy in life. They would do it for free, but they're getting hundreds of dollars. Think about that. They've got dogs who could track you. There's really no way to know who you could trust. It did take a couple of of weeks for a notice to appear in the Cambridge, Maryland newspaper, and I'll read the notice, ran away from the subscriber on the seventeenth. Three Negroes, Harry, aged nineteen, with a win under his ear. Don't look that up. <laughs> It's not a rabbit hole you want to go down. Let's just say it's a distinguishing mark. Ben, aged about 25 years, is very quick to speak when spoken to and six feet high. Minty, about 27, a chestnut color, fine looking and five feet high. $100 reward for each if taken out of the state. 50 if taken in the state. And so... I was like, it took you two weeks to notice they were gone, but they had been working relatively independently up at Mr. Stewart's house, and he may have been reluctant to report them gone. It was pretty common for slaves to change their mind and come back, and everyone is just like, oh, that's just how they are. They just needed a break. Like, (laughs) almost. (laughs) They're going to go on the grand tour. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I think he might have been giving them a chance to cover their tracks and come back. Before he told their actual mistress.
0: Yeah, maybe. That's the most logical explanation. But regardless, she wasn't seeing them every day. Eliza didn't know where they were anyway. So it would take her a while to, you know, realize that they were gone.
1: So they had second thoughts, these brothers. Uh, Let's just go back. Sure enough. Just like the white owners thought. Back. Minty didn't want to go back, but her brothers pressured her. And so they did. They went back and I can only imagine there is some sort of punishment, but maybe it's a lot less if you come back on your own and they can roll their eyes at you, you know, and they haven't had to pay anybody.
0: Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know, but I'm imagining the squabbling that was going on in the woods. I mean, the, the men realized the seriousness of what they were actually doing. They weren't believing Harriet when she gave them directions. They're like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. They're fighting about directions on the way to freedom. Well, Harriet took off
1: again on her own this time. That was wiser. Take two. This time, she headed to the house of a white woman that she hoped would help her. Quakers had reputations for being anti-slavery. And in exchange for a handmade quilt, or maybe she just left it there, it was one of the only personal belongings she even had, Harriet received a note from this woman and some directions to another house. Now, obviously, since Harriet couldn't read, this was meant as a message to the person at the other end of these directions. And I want you to think of yourself in a hostile country where you don't speak the language and someone that you don't know very well gives you an unreadable piece of paper. It's terrifying. What does it say? Does it say this person ran away from so-and-so and you must put her in chains and wait for the policeman? I mean, what does it say? And she can't tell. And she just has to trust that this woman has her best interest at heart. She followed those directions and made her way to a house and showed the woman at the door her paper. And the woman said, get a broom and sweep the yard. That's not what you expect.
0: <laughs> that was actually a thing to do. I was like, why is she sweeping the lo- yard? But that's a thing when the, the hard packed dirt was on the yard. And, you know, it's not the green grass that we have now. So they had people sweep it to get the stems and the leaves away and make it flat and pretty.
1: (laughs) Marilla does that in Anna Green Gables in the books. There you go. Yeah.
0: It was a thing. Well, so it was camouflage is
1: what it was. It was actually pretty smart. If anyone comes thundering by looking for you, you're out here working in the open, which means you are as invisible as you can be. Mm -hmm. It was a good lesson that she actually used later. If you're obvious, you will be less suspicious. After dark, the woman's husband took Harriet to the next stop and little by little, traveling by night and sleeping during the day, assisted by a network of Quaker, mostly Quaker, abolitionists. Probably part of what we know now as the Underground Railroad. Not as you (laughs) think about it when you learn about it in school, like a choo-choo train under the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Just get a ticket, just like you do in New York, right? (laughs) But a system, a system of codes and hiding places and stations and conductors and cargo. Harriet was the cargo. To a slave, of course, the Underground Railroad was salvation, but to the slave owners, and I quote from a newspaper printed in 1853, the Underground Railroad is an association of abolitionists whose business is to steal slaves from indulgent and provident masters on southern plantations and carry them to a cold and strange country to starve, freeze, and die in glorious freedom.
0: Uh Uh-huh. That's one way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) The history of the Quakers as abolitionists went way, way back. Even George Washington at one time said that the Quakers had tried to steal his slaves. At this point in history, the Quakers were getting rid of members who didn't agree with them on this abolitionist point. So as a religion and as a community, they're all working together. This is a great way to get this started.
1: You know, the first time I ever heard of a Quaker, and I'm not talking about the, oatmeal, the the actual Quakers, was, do you remember a book called The Witch of Blackbird Pond? I do. This doesn't have anything to do with slavery. I guess we should talk about this book when we talk about witches. But that woman, Hannah, that the town pretty much drove out and branded or whatever, was a Quaker. Hmm. They've always been free thinkers, I guess, is the way to go with that. I love that book. I'm going to go check that out of the library.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is. I haven't read that. I read it as a kid. I think you're right. I'm going to do the same. It seems to me, I have been reading some
1: books about the Underground Railroad and there seems to be a lot of controversy as to, is it a ferociously organized project with a central location or loosely connected local activist groups? It's all academic to Harriet, of course, who actually made it to Philadelphia, the brass ring, the prize. Freedom. (laughs) The free black population had its own schools there and cultural centers and churches. There were professionals. There were tradesmen. But the city was undergoing some tough times when it came to race relations. It was just increasingly troubled with violence and prejudice against the black population. About 8% of the city was free Black population.
0: When she's in Philadelphia, Harriet manages to find herself some work. I mean, she does have skills. She does some housework. And then in the summertime, she's able to go to the shore. She goes to Cape May, New Jersey and finds work there as a domestic. She's making money. She's able to support herself. But more importantly, she's saving as much as she can because she has tasted freedom. She wanted the same thing for her family.
1: And there had been a development, a legal development, that made things a little more urgent. Less than a year after she arrived there at Freedom Land, the United States passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which meant that it was the all-escaped slaves were to be returned to their master's even if they were up north where slavery was illegal. And even the authority figures in free states had to participate in their return. No matter if the state had laws preventing this, federal law superseded them. The slave catchers, freelance or not, moved northward and Thousands of fugitive slaves surged north to Canada, now really the only safe place. The slave catchers wandered the street, stealing small children, taking free blacks and sending them down south to be sold. And when caught are like, oh, didn't know. Sorry, Uh, they're gone. You can't really get them back, which is cold comfort, isn't it? When your husband gets taken on his way back from
0: work. Because of all that, they had nicknamed this bill the Bloodhound Bill. And, you know, I had always wondered why this would be signed into law. You know, it just so favors the plantation owners of the South. But it was really part of a larger compromise that gave a little bit to each quadrant of the United States and hoping that they would have some more unity. And this is what the South got, was the Fugitive Slave Act. California was admitted. Border disputes and debt for Texas were resolved. Utah and New Mexico became territories. And slave trade in Washington, D.C. was completely abolished.
1: So it was part of a bigger picture, but only this part really affected her. And 30 or so years before this, the United States or the slave owners of the United States asked Canada to extradite their fugitive slaves. And Canada very politely gave them the finger and said, my neighbor, I do not think so. No, Canada was not planning on sending them back uh, unless they had committed a crime like murder or arson or rape of a white woman. Then it was considered a case by case basis. But the mere act of
0: running away? No dice. Mm-mm. Though, if you could get up to Canada as an escaped slave, I mean, they welcomed you with open arms. They helped you get settled. You actually had rights in Canada just by crossing over the line. Wow. I love Canada. <laughs> was
1: even pre-Justin
0: Trudeau. No, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) I will probably cut that out. Okay. Um, Word reached Harriet through what means. It's amazing to me that messages can fly back and forth in this way, that her niece, Keziah, was in danger of being sold. Harriet became very anxious. She couldn't save those other sisters, the ones who disappeared with slave traders. She couldn't save them. Perhaps she could help this niece, Keziah, who called her aunt sister, (laughs) <laughs> Which I think is funny.
0: I love that. No, I love that. It wasn't just her niece, it was her niece's two children who were young six, and uh, the second was a baby. So it's a little family, except for the husband, who was a free man. Using
1: networks of underground railroad contacts she had made up in Philadelphia, Harriet got word to her niece's husband, a free black man, that if he could get his little family to Baltimore, Maryland, she would conduct Keziah and the children to safety. She was really too afraid at this point to go any nearer to her old home she might be recognized and... That would not be good. I love the story of this Daring Rescue. I don't know if it's true or exaggerated, but... (laughs) I'm going to accept it
0: as the truth because it's such a great story. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Daring Rescue right at the auction block. It is almost too late. It includes a rolled up set of sleeves, a lot of nerve, and a piece of paper. Yes. The husband, Bowley, waited for the actual auctioneer to go off to his dinner at the hotel and then went over looking official and irritated and carrying this piece of paper and said he was supposed to move these slaves, what's their names, this and that. I'm supposed to move them to the jail. They're going with their new owner. Um, okay. It's the little piece of paper and the rolled up sleeves. They let him take his family out of there, out of the holding area
0: and off they went, rowing across the Chesapeake Bay to Harriet. That alone, if you've ever been to the Chesapeake Bay, it's kind of like being out in the middle of the ocean and they're just in a you know, a really small rowboat. But John Boley was a, a sailor. He worked on the water, so he was able to navigate them across.
1: I'm just amazed that he had the nerve. I mean, the play acting alone. Forget the nerve of going on a tiny boat across what is functionally the ocean. I think the dangerous part was getting those big, 'er loutish ne'er-do-wells to accept his word as a black man that he had to take three black people out of a slave pen and Mm -hmm. move them away. Nobody could read. That's the thing. That's the funny part to this. The guards couldn't read and he couldn't read. And his assertion that that piece of paper had their names on it was what got them out of there.
0: Is that amazing? It is absolutely amazing. <laughs> and it just, you know, there was people in the area that there was a house that they could go to and hide out. So the communication network was also an amazing element to the story, that it worked. Well, so then Harriet
1: took them through the assorted stops on their way to the north. And... Most conductors on the Underground Railroad went from one stop to the other, over and over, back and forth, ferrying people a little way to take them to the next guy, like a relay race. But Harriet had just joined the relatively small ranks of not the conductors, but the abductors, people willing to venture into slave territory themselves and provide escort the whole way back. It was dangerous enough for a white man. Several of them got branded, fined everything they owned or otherwise punished. If they got caught doing this for a black
0: woman, it would have been fatal. So because she had success getting her family away one time, she's going to do it again. So Harriet makes the trip again. This time she's trying to get her younger brother Moses and two other men and bring them back to freedom which she does.
1: And then on her third trip, she dared to go into her old neighborhood with the intent of getting Mr. Tubman to join her. Unfortunately, not only did he scoff at her and the very
0: idea he had remarried and wanted nothing more to do with her. When you hear this story as a kid, it's like he had remarried. So Harriet got some other people and took them home, period. No, she had a bit of an emotional breakdown. I mean, she is a woman. This is her husband. She's just been dumped. You know, she'd risked her life to go get him and he wants no part of her. So she did have a little bit of a cry, uh, a little bit of jealousy. And then she went off and found some people that she could save. And she did. (laughs) Well, yeah,
1: she felt like this rageful power come over her. God told me that he had chosen me for this work. Oh, no, Lord, choose someone else. No, it's got to be you. And she channeled that into the most daring rescue yet. She actually recruited a party of 11 slaves, including another brother and his future wife, and conducted them safely all the way to Canada, where she had set up a base for herself. Uh, It's amazing to me. So this isn't just a couple of family members. This is strangers. She went, she selected them, she talked to them, convinced them to go and brought them all the way to safety. That's the pattern for the next decade. In fact, she would take many trips. I read 17. I think there's dispute about how many trips she actually took. Some were little, some were big, some were just over the border, but no less dangerous. Harriet Tubman herself says she probably took... 50 to 70, she estimated, which seems like a very low number, as the usual number reported is 300. But how many escapes did she inspire? More than anything else, she was a torch in the wilderness, lighting the way to freedom. And I wouldn't want to underestimate the power that she had just by her very existence and the mythology that sprung up around her. So however many trips she actually took was not as important, I think, as the stories that
0: sprung out of them, like the following. So she's adding, I don't want to say tricks, but she's adding new elements to the trip. She's planning escapes for Saturday because she knows that the notices won't appear in papers until Monday. She's drugging babies, which I hate.
1: Okay, if we are going to talk about drugging babies. So she gave opium to the babies. And I read that and I thought, well, that's real bad. But you know, mothers all over America were giving their children Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup just because they fussed a little because their teeth hurt. And that was full of a deadly dose of morphine. So I'm just saying (laughs) everyone thought it was as
0: wholesome as mother's milk at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Or as Benadryl that a lot of mothers, myself included, have given their babies before they fly. (laughs) Oh, I've never done that. Okay. In theory, opens up their ears. In practice, it makes them sleepy. <laughs> don't do this at home, people. I'm guessing that's an off-label usage. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Because it helps, you know, clear their ears so they don't start screaming. Which is tricks that I learned making these trips over and over and over again. But unlike Harriet, I didn't carry a gun. She <laughs> she, <laughs> t- <laughs> she took to carrying a gun not only for protection, but to kind of motivate any of her passengers that might have gotten cold feet. And she didn't hesitate to point the gun at them when they said, no, I'm going back. She's like, no, dead men can't talk.
1: <laughs> she gave them a choice. Okay, you are entitled to freedom or death, and now you pick. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh my. Well, um, this seems to be the part of Harriet Tubman's life and story that we all know at least a little. She'd work at cutting firewood or cleaning houses to get enough money, and then once or twice a year put herself in extreme danger by doing another rescue mission. And at first, the slave owners are all like, some man named Moses is stealing all of our property. (laughs) (laughs) But as her fame grew and she began to tell her stories of her travels to the well-heeled abolitionists of, say, Boston and New York, it became more apparent who she was, exactly. And the rewards for her capture (laughs) ratcheted up little by little by little until they ultimately reached... Maybe as high as $40,000 in 1850s money.
0: The figure $40,000 appears in a lot of sources, but it was eventually tracked down to an exaggerated biography that was written of her. So, yes, the $40,000 does
1: seem to be an extreme exaggeration. However, the reward was so high in context of what everyone made during the course of a year That if you were the guy that turned in Harriet Tubman, let's just say you could buy yourself land, a house, animals to pull your plow, to ride, to have as pets, and to eat. (laughs) You'd be set up for life. But this didn't seem to stop Harriet Tubman. Okay, so she got so good at subterfuge. I love this story so much. She was going to do a little recon and dressed herself up as an old woman. And at the time, she was in her early 30s. Old woman, and she had bought a kind of pair of chickens, and they were tied together at the leg with a piece of twine. And she's a hobbling down the street. And a white man comes along down the road, and she's not panicking, but she recognizes this guy because she is in her own neighborhood. And she releases the twine and lets the chickens go, and then starts running like a grandma would down the street. And rather than chase her, the master starts laughing and goes, I'm going to bet on the chickens, grandma, (laughs) and laughs and goes on his way. Meanwhile, she has just gotten away from someone that could have raked in a serious reward. And he didn't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another story where she got on a train. She liked to ride a train down because, as she had learned while sweeping the yard, if you're obvious, you're riding a train headed south. No one's going to say anything to you. No, right. You're obviously not running away from slavery. You're obviously on some kind of official business. Oh, who's in the same car as her? Someone she had worked for. And so she picks up a newspaper and starts reading. She can't read this Harriet who ran away. So obviously that's not her.
0: No. It, it's a good thing that the paper was up the right direction. <laughs>
1: Well, they're you know pictures. Know so you can turn the pictures. <laughs> yeah. The right way.
0: yeah, that's true. That you know that trope, right? Having the paper upside yes. down. Yeah, yes. yeah. And when she did get to these communities, she would kind of walk on these hidden paths, singing these spiritual songs that were code. I'm here to rescue you if you want my help. you know that song? Can you sing it? <laughs> Let my people go. You know that spiritual song? Oh, <laughs> that was one <when> she sang. <laughs> As a, as a code to say, hey, I'm here. You know, you want to leave? It looked at and I can't sing it. I have the words, but I'm not even going to give it a shot.
1: Well, all right. And I think I'm not either. <laughs> so she said that God had given her this mission and protected her. Certainly, the more she did this, the better her instincts were for avoiding danger. She never lost one fugitive. Even old brothers Ben and Harry, who had lost their nerve the first time oh so long ago, eventually came with her on another trip. There was a delay. This is something else. Harry's baby had just been born and they were waiting for it to be born so he could see it. But then they had to go. And his wife knew that he was leaving. He didn't tell her, but she knew and she couldn't go because she had just given birth and she would be a liability. And so with a newborn baby. And so she stayed behind and brother Harry left for freedom. That was tear jerking. Mm
0: -hmm. Each of these stories, I'm actually surprised that we're not crying. Oh, I don't want to get hardened.
1: No, that's not good. (laughs) Well, she was able, this is a happy news, to bring her parents north. Quite a reunion they had with many of their children there. Papa had bought their mother's freedom for $20 years ago. So technically... They were free people of color, but Papa was under investigation for harboring fugitives, and he was in serious danger, and the network activated and told her so, and so she went down to get them, her elderly parents, who actually had to be taken the whole way, laying on ropes slung under a donkey wagon. Um, so Senator William Seward, the man who would later, <laughs> as Secretary of State, buy Alaska, by the way, in case you know his name from Seward's Folly. uh, He was busy. He sold her a house and some land of his uh, inexpensively near Auburn, New York for she and her parents to live so she could continue
0: her work. Which that's just one sentence. But if you think about what that means, she is owning property. She is a woman owning property. She is a black woman owning property. That's huge. That is a huge step forward.
1: She received a solicitation for a LinkedIn request from a man, a fiery abolitionist, white man named John Brown. And she had had a vision of this man with crazy white hair and a beard coming to her through a forest and he had got attacked by men and killed. And sure enough, this man is the one that approached her for a meeting. I admire your tactics. I admire your bravery, he said. Could you help me? I plan to foment a slave uprising. I think the time to be meek is over. And I think we must take matters into our own hands to eliminate slavery.
0: And he had been doing that to some degree out in Kansas and Missouri. He was not above shooting people to help liberate slaves and shooting slave owners. He was guerrilla warfare already before he even gets involved with Harriet. And the fact that he's a fan of hers.
1: Well, he would introduce her to people he knew as General Tubman. And... She promised that she would cruise around using the power of her, really, it must be said, fame to talk about his cause and raise money for him and recruits. It was a mutual, not only admiration society, but a mutual help society. Frederick Douglass, though, our old friend Frederick Douglass, (laughs) his position is basically like, do not get involved with that crazy, crazy white man. We can't, we can't afford it. We can't afford the bad publicity. He's not going to win. And then you're going to be all tangled up in his mess. But she had had the vision. God was telling her to get
0: involved with him. God, you know, supersedes Frederick Douglass (laughs) and Harriet's eyes. Captain Brown, as Harriet called him, had planned a raid on a federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry, Virginia. He put together a small army of 20 people, people that Harriet had helped him find and was planning this raid. Harriet had every intention of going with them, too. Unfortunately, she was ill. She couldn't be there at the raid on Harper's Ferry. Unfortunately, but also fortunately, <laughs>
1: Because it turned out to be a total debacle. The slave uprising John Brown was counting on for his manpower didn't happen. Whether it was lack of publicity or just fear or loose lips sink ships. I don't know exactly what happened, but his men didn't appear. So he was doomed, really. He was fighting a losing battle from the very beginning. So it was very providential, perhaps, that Harriet Tubman couldn't make it. It ended up for the best. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to be hanged, and was arguably maybe the most famous martyr to the cause of the anti-slavery movement. Harriet Tubman herself said, when I think about how he gave up his life for our people and was so brave to the end, it's clear to me that it wasn't just the mortal man, it was God working through him. She saw him as mm, like a Jesus figure, like a prophet.
0: It was a pretty vivid dream she had had. Right, and that, and that he, you know, physically matched the man in her dream. That had to be super powerful for
1: her. So the sentiments were churning, shall we say? The anti-slavery movement was gaining traction. We had had in recent years the martyrdom of John Brown. We've also had Uncle Tom's Cabin had just come out and fired people up. And there was a slave that was taken forcibly back from Boston. $50,000 were spent on catching him. A 100 police officials had to be used to get him through the protesting crowds. Flags were taken down at half-mast. The North was not very cheerful about returning slaves to the South, and they were making their protest known through civil disobedience or in civil disobedience, as it turns out. And there was a second guy in Troy, New York, and Harriet happened to be in town. The man's name is Charles Knoll. They had brought him out after his trial.
0: He was to be sent back to his owner back in the South. He was being held at a government office and Harriet showed up dressed as an old woman. She was able to get into the building with her old woman act and she stood at a window, which was a sign to all the people that were in the crowd that had organized to help this man become free. They started fighting to create a distraction Harriet claims she threw the slave over her shoulder and carried him out. At the the very least, she kind of went into ninja mode and she she got hit with batons and there was guns going off and she gets him out and the man was able to escape.
1: Normally, she gets them in the dead of night. She's more of a burglar of property. Nah. Now she's a robber of property and it was a good move. Like, I know. Man, that was good for your reputation.
0: I was writing my notes shortly after I had uh, seen the Spider-Man movie. So in my head, I had this animation of this old woman, you know, throwing off her cloak and turning into this kind of warrior screaming, give us liberty or give us death, which is something she actually is claimed to have said. It was a cartoon vision in my head.
1: Well, she was strong enough to pick up a grown man and run. We've known that since, you know, she was a parlor trick for the master to show people that this little tiny person could lift like twice her body weight and mm-hmm. run down the way. So possible, not probable. I'm imagining him crowd surfing, actually. Oh. <laughs> Being passed from hand to hand. See, we have our own animations going on in our <laughs> <That's> head. <funny. laughs> you know, passed to a waterman who rose away quickly before anybody knows what's happening. So either way, he's safe, he's gone. He, I believe, fades from history. I don't know too much about what happened to him after that. Well, Harriet is so famous now. She did more public speaking, both for anti-slavery conferences and at suffrage conferences. They tended to be the same white ladies in those groups. So that's who she spoke to. And they thought that her charming and quaint style was very
0: much admired. Okay. I don't know about the quaint part, but she was witty and charming. So the audiences loved her and they passed the hat and she was able to make enough to support herself and her family. Not well, but support them. And now it's time to take
1: a little break. We are on the verge of war. There's rumblings of discontent in the state of South Carolina. Stay tuned.
0: we're back, South Carolina is starting to make a lot of grumbling that, in our rearview mirrors, we know starts the Civil War. We're about a year out from that, and the tensions are just rising. People are starting to tell Harriet, you know, she needs to lay off on these runs. It's getting too dangerous. But Harriet still has a sister that was down in Maryland that she wanted to liberate. She had Rachel on her mind, so she makes the trip down, the dangerous, extremely dangerous trip down, but when she gets there, she learns that Rachel died shortly before her arrival. She tried to save Rachel's children and get them away from Eliza Brodus, but she wasn't able to. And she heads out of town and encounters a family of five and says, you want to go to freedom? And so she takes them. And that is her last trip on the Underground Railroad.
1: I'm sad about her family, though. And I'm also I sad that we don't know what happened to Lina and Soph. No, because a lot of times
0: their names changed mm-hmm. and... Even from where we are, they can't be traced back.
1: Well, so the war began at last like we knew it would. South Carolina said, smell you later to the United States of America. And Harriet went with a man named General Benjamin Butler and his soldiers as sort of an
0: informal scout down through her old stomping grounds in Maryland. I love that before she went, she made sure that her parents were taken care of in Auburn, that there was money there to feed them for the time. Her dedication to her family is so impressive in this entire story.
1: And she had white neighbors perfectly willing to take charge of them and assured mm-hmm. her that they would treat them like their own parents. So I thought mm-hmm. that was reassuring, too. General Butler was sent to Fort Monroe, and he put out the word that, <laughs> here's a movie reference, Benjamin offers you his protection.
0: <laughs> Did
1: you get that reference?
0: No, what is it?
1: It's actually supposed to be Pedro offers you his protection. (laughs) Uh, So are you a runaway slave? Come to Fort Monroe. And man, they sure did. And he was just doing it to give the finger to the slave owners, kind of like, watch what happens when I give them a place to go. See, they used to try to go to Baltimore, but the slave catchers could just go to Baltimore. Because Maryland never seceded, so they could still operate in there. That was unfortunate. So they went to Fort Monroe, which was a major hub in the flight north. Just in the first year, 3,000 what they called contrabands took advantage of his kindness. They lived at the fort, which if you're thinking it is a big set of walls, like a big box with all these people in it, it's actually 63 acres. There's room. (laughs) Uh, It's got soldiers protecting it water on three sides. It's a protected piece of land more than a a building. (laughs) Harriet Tubman was used to helping people like bewildered newcomers to freedom. She'd done it in Canada for years. And so for a while, she was a volunteer, nurse, and cook and organizer.
0: They had originally wanted her to be a clothing passer-outer. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Harriet doesn't do that. (laughs) I've got some skills that you could really use. So she was, like you said, nursing, but it's not like she was taking care of battle wounds at this point. People were coming into the camp with dysentery and smallpox, typhoid and scarlet fever. So she's helping nurse them back to health as an unpaid nurse. So
1: it's all well and good. Freedmen societies in the North had taken up donations to provide the newly freed people with food and clothing. That's fine. I'll pass them out or whatever. But seriously, give me something else to do. And they did. Harriet was deployed this is in her wheelhouse, to go down the coast and look for and lead fugitive slaves to safety behind enemy lines in South Carolina. (laughs) That's dangerous. It's super dangerous for a famous person so hated all over the South, by the way, but Harriet led hundreds to Union protection and then saved them and the soldiers guarding them from pernicious disease with her knowledge of local plant remedies. Like we always say around here, your average herbalist is going to do just as well as your average doctor. A doctor can graduate from medical school without ever having seen a patient <laughs> 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 at it this it, time. <laughs> so it's like, it's everyone's like, she was better than the doctors. And I'm like, yes, we
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to doing that she was getting the lay of the land she was meeting people on her travels and finding out where you know rebel where the confederate armies were positioned she was learning a lot of valuable intelligence that she brought back to camp and shared after most of a
1: year in this necessary but homely pursuits Of cleaning up poop and etc. Harriet volunteered and was asked to create an official spy and scout network reporting to the Secretary of War. That's for realsies. That's serious. That's actual work. She and her team snuck out, gathered information, created maps, and Harriet Tubman was instrumental in the success of a major military operation which she had planned and instigated and got backing for.
0: Not only was she instrumental, which is a big deal in itself, she is the only woman to plan and lead an armed expedition in the Civil War. Her spy ring had discovered that there was a rebel outpost on the Cumbie River, and it was protecting South Carolina's rice crops. There was Confederate soldiers to get through. There was slaves to free. And there was a bunch of mines in the water. This is all intel that her spy ring discovered. So these federal
1: ships snuck up the combe River carefully avoiding the, quote, rebel torpedoes, which is a floating mine that is just tethered right under the water and is going to blow your action out of the water if you hit it. But no, they had mapped them all and she carefully stirred them around it. And they were so smug, the Confederates, like those mines are the thing. They're going to be the thing that stops everybody. You know, I don't even have to guard this because look what's going to happen to fools that come by, you know, but they went right around it as safe as kittens. All along the river, Harriet had been up and down, tipping them off that the ships were coming and slaves were waiting to board these federal ships all along the waterway. And the Union set fire to every plantation they passed, laying waste to houses, crops, equipment. I mean, that is the rice crop. Cotton. It was a mess. It was irrecoverable. It was devastation. And 750 slaves were freed during Harriet's raid. During this
0: raid, not only was she leading it, but she was the voice of reason. Because when the ships came, the slaves just poured out of wherever they were towards the ships trying to get on board. And she's like, calm down. We will save all of you. You need to be calm. So the
1: officers learned that they could start relying on Harriet Tubman's information to plan their maneuvers. They would rely, if she said the troops were weak there, that's where they would go. Her involvement, however, was mostly kept out of the official records. Though the press, and then the public, began to start to connect the dots. Harriet Tubman, Moses, freedom fighter, terror of the Confederacy, heroin, you know. <laughs> her her <laughs> reputation was just ratcheting up. She was not happy, though. The second class status of black soldiers was very upsetting to her. And it should have been. They were paid less. They were given lesser, inferior housing, inferior treatment. She went right to the top and decided to blame President Abraham Lincoln for their treatment. She was not giving him a pass. She had a grudge. (laughs) She met up with Sojourner Truth, who was a big supporter of Abraham Lincoln at this time. And she's like, he has not shown me his true colors yet. I don't whatever. <laughs> she had a grudge. She was not. She was going to put her foot down and shake her head. But she did sort of come around after the 13th Amendment was passed, officially lifting the institution of slavery. And she did mourn when he died. So right at the end, before he died, she made up with him in her mind, even though I don't think the men person.
0: And uh, so Jenner had actually asked her to go down to Washington to meet Lincoln. And Harriet took a pass. She's like, no, I don't think so. Later, she regretted it. She said that she wished that she had gone. But wow, what an invitation. Sojourner Truth is inviting you to go to visit the president. Wow. (laughs) And you know what? The 13th Amendment doesn't actually completely eliminate slavery. Right. I think people need to know that. There's wording in there that says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. So... Anybody who is convicted of a crime can be enslaved.
1: Well, and you could also make up crimes and people took advantage of that loophole. Oh, Um, yeah. Well, more on that later. But on the surface, if you think about it, before all the loopholes got exploited, that seemed like a giant step forward.
0: Oh, it absolutely was. Absolutely. That's what life is about, though, right? You make plans, you learn from them, and then you improve on them. Well, it was her hope and that of all African-Americans
1: working on behalf of the Union, frankly, that their services during the war would make them equal in the eyes of the law, at least, if not the general population, after the war was over. And I'm sorry to say that the opposite happened. We've talked about Reconstruction before. The new freed Black population at large was treated very poorly. No one seemed to be able to make that switch and think of them as people. Harriet Tubman also suffered an incident. We've talked about this in Ida Wells. We've talked about this in Rosa Parks. She is riding in a train car with a valid pass given to her by the military to go all the way home, you know, free gratis on the train. The conductor disbelieved that she had such a paper like that. After all, she was a woman and she had a military pass suspect. They manhandled her so violently into the baggage car where they threw her onto the ground and locked her in that she had injuries that it took almost a year to recover from. After the war, Harriet returned to her house in Auburn and began to solicit and manage donations for any number of charity projects directed at helping former slaves. You know, orphanages, old age homes, black soldiers, both wounded and not veterans, funds for education for the newly freed. You would think that a person like this can perfectly, legitimately rest on her laurels after so much work. But the very first thing she did was start to work for the betterment of other people. Isn't that Amazing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, as she was expending money and time on other people, her own financial plight was very grim. She had to rely on donations and bake sales to keep wood in her own fireplace. That is shameful for a hero of the nation. A friend named Sarah Bradford wrote a biography of her that sold enough copies to net $1,200 to keep Harriet and her family solvent. And the military just dragged their feet on paying her for her services during the war. She was a volunteer. No, in fact, at certain points, yes, but not when she was leading you past all the mines in the river. Mm -hmm. That's work, don't you think? She worked for the Secretary of War. Y'all are killing me. Even her staunch white advocates had to fight for years and were required to produce extraordinary amounts of paperwork. The representatives from South Carolina in particular were obstructing the fact that she could get paid. And I am amazed by this. I was so angry thinking about this. And then I thought about what happened just yesterday when a whole bunch of older conservative white guys booed a young woman of color who was simply casting a vote. Mm-hmm.
0: And I realized that that sentiment is still alive and well. Yeah. Her legal bigamist husband, John Tubman, had been murdered just after she got home from the war. But she started to take in borders. And one of them was a Civil War vet who had been honorably discharged named Nelson Davis. And he had been an enslaved person who had escaped just before the war. He did what a lot of young Black slaves did at the time. He enlisted in the Union Army and he fought. Young, you say? He was 23. At this point, Harriet is 43. She totally gets a groove back. (laughs) (laughs) Now, okay, so he has tuberculosis, who's perfect. He was described as, quote, a magnificent specimen in appearance. Hmm.
1: (laughs) Well, good. And it seems like they were a good match because her dream and her basic goal in life was to be philanthropic. She got a little bit of money and I'm assuming if he got a little bit of money, they would just turn around and give it to the less fortunate. People were always so frustrated with them. Like, I gave you a skirt for you. And she would say, but they didn't have any skirt. And I have this old one. So I just mm-hmm. gave it to them. And so he supported her in that endeavor. And he was just like that. So I can only imagine that their hearts and minds were very similar too. And their philosophies. She became known as, quote, that celebrated colored philanthropist. Nice. I thought that was good.
0: Yeah. When Harriet and Nelson. Wait, Harriet and Nelson. Oh. <laughs> Wasn't that the 50s Housewives after Chelsea? After Harriet and Nelson were married, they adopted a baby girl named Gertie. Harriet was in her early 50s, but Rit, her mother, still lived with her, and she was able to see her granddaughter through age six. Rit lived a very long life, and I'm just imagining this nice family, this life that Harriet hadn't had a chance to have if she had continued to be a slave. You know, a child. It wasn't, you know, her natural child, but it was her child. She loved her and adored her and raised her. They
1: were together for approximately 19 years, so this was not a frivolous affair and only ended at his death from his tuberculosis. After this, and with more wrangling, believe it or not, Congress finally agreed to give her a pension, and a normal widow's pension. Because they were going to give her her husband's pension, not uh-huh. one for her own work, by the way, no, just to be very
0: no. serious about that. It took her five years to get it. Five years of fighting to get a widow's pension.
1: And then her friends chimed in and demanded that she be given, they raised it from $8 to 20 and that sort of covered her payment. Mm -hmm. So they snuck it in. As long as they didn't call it payment for her services, everyone was going to let it through. They viewed it inappropriate that a black woman would get a soldier's pension of her own. Mm -hmm. So they didn't want to give that payment to a woman. No wonder she did lectures to promote suffrage and went to every suffrage meeting available to her. Susan B. Anthony herself called her, and I quote, a living legend. She has impressed us all with the venerable dignity of her appearance. And it was with Susan B. Anthony at a suffrage meeting when Harriet Tubman introduced herself as, and this is one of her most famous quotes, I was a conductor of the Underground Railroad for eight years and I can say what most conductors can't say. I never ran my train off the track and I never lost a passenger. I thought that was so good.
0: Another really cool thing that happened was her family is starting to build houses in the community. They're growing their own community. They're moving out of her place (laughs) and into their own. They're worshiping all at the same church in the village. And it's a community. It's a very tight-knit community. In 1897, Queen Victoria had read about Harriet's story and sent Harriet a silver medal commemorating the Queen's diamond jubilee. The Queen also invited Harriet to her birthday party. Harriet couldn't afford to go, so she declined. Queen Victoria, episodes 11 and 12 of the History Chicks podcast.
1: Be very kind if you go back that far. Yeah, <laughs> that's, true. that's true. I have not yet run those files through the magic audio cleaners. Oh, my. Well, be sure you like us before you go that far back. <laughs> Closer to home, much closer to home, i.e. in her yard, her lifelong dream, which was a charity home for the elderly African-Americans of her city, was dedicated when she was 86. And she really viewed this, despite all of the achievements she had had in her life. She viewed this as her crowning achievement. I did not take up this work for my own benefit, she says, but for those of my race who need help. The work is now well started and I know God will raise up others to take care of the future. The dream of Moses for myself and for my people has at last been realized. That is amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, this is another one of those things that she worked really hard for years to arrange the financing of it. And mostly from the people that she knew, her connections uh, were able to contribute to build this home. She moved in to
1: her own home for the aged at the age of 89 and was well taken care of by the staff there. She lived there for a couple of years before she died on March 10th. 1913 surrounded by friends and family with i think very characteristic last words just it kind of freaks me out
0: her last words were i go away to prepare a place for you that where i am you also may be now for those of you who know your bible that's john 14:3 so she had memorized her bible she knew her scripture she lived by it so that her last words her last recorded words are from the Bible, is it's just indicative of the kind of woman she was. It's a biblical quote. It's cool. You know, it's better than, you know, rosebud or something.
1: Okay, well, that's not at all what I was focusing on. My was, I was focusing on the very, I don't know, it's almost meta. I go ahead to prepare a place for you. That is literally what she did in life. She went ahead Mm -hmm. to prepare a place for people to follow. So whether it is biblical or temporal, it was very fitting last words for either scenario. And I thought that was great. Yes. Also... (laughs) How about this for going ahead to preparing a place for you? Harriet Tubman died the same year Rosa Parks was born. Ooh. Ooh,
0: I got chills.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, she was buried with military honors in Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn, New York. And the next year, Auburn put up a plaque to
0: immortalize her. Booker T. Washington himself came to speak at the unveiling of the memorial. It says, Harriet Tubman, born a slave in Maryland about 1821, died in Auburn, New York, March 10th, 1913. Called the Moses of her people during the Civil War with rare courage, she led over 300 Negroes from slavery to freedom and rendered invaluable service as a nurse and spy. With implicit trust in God, she braved every danger and overcame every obstacle. With all she possessed, extraordinary foresight and judgment, so that she truthfully said, quote, am I reading this the way it is?
1: (laughs) Okay, well, okay. Just to explain why Susan is hesitating, this last two sentences is written in dialect as if we are reading Uncle Tom's Cabin. Now we can read this in one of two ways. Either... From modern day, it's very insulting, or perhaps that is the way she sounded, and the people that put up this plaque would have remembered her voice, and maybe mm-hmm. it was a little nod to people that knew her, that could read it and hear her voice in the way that it's written. So mm-hmm. so Susan's going to... You know what? That's fine. I'm going to read it.
0: On my underground railroad, I never run off the track, and I never lost a passenger.
1: N-E-B-B-E-R. It's never. Okay. So actually, you didn't read it with that much dialect. So we copy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no accent. I just read the words. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I wouldn't read too much into that. I actually think it was probably a token of their love, actually. So, over the course of the following decades, Harriet Tubman had a brief period of being 100% forgotten, kind of swung back in the 1940s, until she is now really the main representative of the story of slavery, I think, during the Civil War that children learn about in school. Am I right? You are absolutely right. Though, not the guerrilla fighter, spy part, weirdly, which seems very exciting.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. That should definitely be focused on in classrooms. In 1944, the U.S. Maritime Commission launched the SS Harriet Tubman. She had a ship named after her. And in 1995, she had a commemorative stamp. Cool.
1: Nice. And we'll put pictures of those on the Pinterest board. Well, that will bring us to the end of the life
0: of Harriet Tubman. And now it's time for media. Maybe we should start with a little media news of our own. This episode marks our first episode with a new-to-us network, Wondery. We loved our time at Panoply. The people were amazing, but Panoply is no more as a network. When we talked with the folks at Wondery, we knew that this was the network home for us. They have so many women-hosted shows. We fit right in and felt right at home right away. This means nothing for you, really. <laughs> You'll still get your podcast episodes the same way, although there might be a few changes in our future. Hmm. Stay tuned for those details. We're just really excited to start this new chapter of our lives for the History Chicks and for the Recappery, which we hope to be bringing back very soon. If you know anything about us, you know why we had to put the show on hiatus, and we're really looking forward to getting back to it. Now, how about some books? All I'm going to start with kids books. One we actually talked about during the Sojourner Truth episode, and that's When Harriet Met Sojourner by Catherine Clinton, illustrated by Shane W. Evans. And the one that I discovered this time that I just love this book, I can just see having a little kid on your lap and reading it to them and looking at the pictures. It's called Before She Was Harriet by Lisa Klein Ransom, illustrated by James E. Ransom. She goes backwards in Harriet's life. The illustration are just beautiful. I wish I had a little child to read this book to.
1: I think it is mostly the illustrations that I liked about this one. And the words are just written like a little bit of poetry. Before she was General Tubman, she was a Union spy carrying secrets across battlefields to soldiers fighting in the Civil War for President Lincoln to end slavery.
0: I loved it. You know what I loved the most about this is it ends with a little girl and it kind of says, look, you can do anything you set your mind to doing. Look what hair Harriet did. I, uh, I'm I'm like all tingly about that,
1: <laughs> and I like the dedication which they actually have put at the end to the guiding force of all the women who've led the way through courage, strength, perseverance, and intellect. Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Fannie Lou Hamer, Toni Morrison, Michelle Obama, Viola Davis, Anne Sneed, Ernestine Klein,
0: which I Love. assume is her mother. Yep, I assume that as well. Yeah, go buy it. Don't don't just get it from the library. There was actually a middle grade book that surprised me. It's called Harriet Tubman, Secret Agent, How Daring Slaves and Free Blacks Spied for the Union During the Civil War by Thomas B. Allen. It's a National Geographic book. It's it's fairly small. It's middle grade for sure. You can, kids that are just starting to read chapter books could easily read this one. Uh, it looks really old. I thought it looked really cool. When I pulled it off the shelf, I was like, oh, there's a really old book. But it's fairly new, you know, within the last 10 years. So I thought that was cool. Cool. Another middle
1: grade book you might like is Harriet Tubman, Conductor on the Underground Railroad by Anne Petrie. It's pretty big, it's a pretty thorough book, but a lot of the language has been simplified. Mm-hmm. So, another middle grade. And then I recommend that you just go ahead and read the original biography, Harriet Tubman, The Moses of Her People by Sarah Bradford, written so, so long ago in 1869.
0: There's actually a couple different revisions of it. Mm -hmm. The first time that she wrote it, she did the whole thing in three months. She had a a cruise to Europe planned. (laughs) So she did the interviews with Harriet. She collected letters from people that Harriet knew. Uh, She did whatever research she had to do, and she wrote it all in three months which is astonishing to me. So she went back when she had a little more time and, and rewrote it. Although I think in the, the later editions, the language is kind of modernized, which I didn't like. It's digitized. Um, we'll give you a link to it. Google Books. I'm assuming, I didn't look, does uh, Project Gutenberg have it?
1: I'm sure they do. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I'm, su- I'm sure they do too.
1: Well, two biographies that I found very helpful, Bound for the Promised Land, By Kate Clifford Larson and Harriet Tubman, The Road to Freedom
0: by Katherine Clinton. Bound for the promised land. I want to point out, and I'm going to give you a link in the show notes, HarrietTubmanBiography.com is her website. It is the most thorough website just about Harriet Tubman. It doesn't try to sell you the book as much as it gives you information. I thought it was a great source of information about her. The other adult book that I liked was Harriet Tubman, Imagining Life by Beverly Lowry. I recommend you read this one last. It is a nonfiction biography, but she is a creative nonfiction writer. So she's going to put in details imagined. You can tell exactly where they are. I thought it was very well written as creative nonfiction but i think you should read the other ones to get all the facts and stories in place yeah you know, the information is all there it's i i thought it was written very well kind of different
1: i have to just tell you i cannot say enough awesome things awesome things about this my favorite episode of Drunk History there has ever been and probably will ever be. The Harriet Tubman segment starring Octavia Spencer. Still, I mean, I was just watching it a second ago to get the pronunciation of that river and I couldn't stop laughing. And how many times have I seen it? 40, 50? I don't even know. It is so amazing. And Octavia Spencer just nails it. And the storyteller just can't
0: stop cursing. It is so funny. It is. We can't put the entire episode on our uh show notes, but we'll give you a link so you can find it. There was actually another TV episode that was really good. It was on Timeless, and it centered around Harriet Tubman. If you know Timeless, they have a time travel machine mm-hmm. and a historian, and it was done very well. Unfortunately, Timeless has ended. They had their finale within the last month. I thought it was one of the greatest series-ending finales ever, because it wrapped up every single storyline. I was like, shh, don't say, in case somebody not gonna... hasn't seen it. <laughs> i'm not I'm not but I strongly strongly recommend it. I think it was our friends in the uh private group that recommended we watch it, and once I started, I couldn't stop. <laughs>
1: Okay. And there is a movie a coming. Uh, in 2019, there is a movie simply entitled Harriet. And I do believe I'm going to be excited to see it. There's a bit of controversy already because the person cast as Harriet is British and not American. I'm like, we do that all the time. Do we not? Yeah. <laughs> Seems kind of crazy to put your head on that if she's the best person to portray Harriet and she herself has said she is going to take enormous care of Harriet's legacy then I don't see what the problem is so let's I, I just either. let the woman work also in this movie some an unknown, unknown role, but I'm guessing since he is a young white man, that the only guy he could really play would be the young Master Brodus, I guess. But he has seems to have quite a year. He's in Mary, Queen of Scots. He is in Boy Erased. He is in The Favorite. And now he's in Harriet, which is in post-production, which means all the actors are done. So he's probably moved on to something else. But <laughs> what I wonder what happens. Like he gets spotted and then everyone just passes him around. I don't understand how that happens, but he is in some big projects all of a sudden. So I'm looking forward to seeing him too.
0: What's his name? Joe Alwyn. Oh, okay. You know who else is in this movie? Leslie Odom Jr. He was in the original Hamilton. He was Aaron Burr, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, I don't know what role he plays though. You know what? He was also in a Gilmore Girls episode. Which one? Brideshead revisited when Rory and Logan go to Logan's sister's wedding and Lorelei babysits Christopher's toddler daughter. Hmm. I don't remember that particular episode, but he was in it. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. And I know you love the show. So I did in there. Uh, <laughs> as far as documentaries, Prime, Amazon Prime, it has several and a few of them are actually good. So amazing. I, I know. <laughs> there was one that was super short. Um, it was like 20 minutes long, but the production value was really high. And the one, if you were going to watch anything and it's a three part series, it's American Experience, The Abolition. I would strongly recommend watching that. And that'll give you more of a full picture of,
1: you know, her work in context with other people's work. So,
0: mm-hmm. that movie about her is long overdue. The last one that was made was in 78 with Cicely Tyson as Harriet Tubman. I tried to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but but it looked like an old um, gunsmoke episode or
1: something. Well, and I'm wondering if we just get too spoiled for good production values, where we can't just tolerate it anymore. Yes. If it's not, you know, we can't use our imaginations. Anymore. I know Cicely Tyson, she's amazing. this she's perfectly
0: well. Sure. She's perfect. I don't know. She's not as perfectly cast as Octavia Spencer. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I loved that. Okay. So then I'm just going to give you links without really specifying to a little more about John Brown, if that is your thing. And I am going to put a lot of things that we talked about that we referred to. Pinterest holds a lot of good links and photos for things like statues and postage stamps and things like that. We did want to mention, however, the controversy about
0: the $20 bill. There was an organized effort to select a woman to put on U.S. currency. It was not a government-supported effort. It was women on the 20s trying to get a woman on the $20 bill by 2020, which would be the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the... Hello, what amendment? (laughs) Nineteenth <laughs> <19th> of minute. <laughs> oh my, God. my my mind is going too. So uh, the government did hear about it. They did approve in the last administration to indeed put Harriet's face on a twenty-dollar bill, taking Jackson, slave owner Jackson, off. However, the current administration is dragging their heels. Well,
1: that's true. Also, the bill, incidentally, the five dollar bill that was to feature Martin Luther King Jr. on the back, is also in a delayed status. Very
0: sad. But you know what? She's not the first woman on American currency. Do tell. Oh, the very well. There's a technicality on the <laughs> the Queen of the Confederacy was on the first Confederate dollar bills and hundred dollar bills, and that would be Lucy Holcomb Pickens, who was the South Carolina first lady but that was Confederate money. On United States money, it goes back to Pocahontas. She was on the back of the $20 bill from 1865. What do you know? I know. And Washington, Martha Washington, she was on the $1 silver certificate. Which She'd I'm be
1: guessing the... is currently worth more than a
0: dollar. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> As far as museums go, check our show notes please. We'll link you up to all of them. There is of course the biggie, the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington D.C. There is a lace shawl that Queen Victoria gave Harriet that's on display there. Ooh, nice. That is nice. I I know. Um her the Harriet Tubman Home and AME Zion Church is a National Historical Park in Auburn, New York. There's a lot of Harriet Tubman related um, museums and attractions across mostly the eastern part of the United States. There's the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway, which is a 125 mile self guided driving tour through 36 sites. Who knew? I did not know about that one, nor did I know. And I want to thank Renee, who sent us an email recently and requested Harriet Tubman while we were already researching her. There is a Tubman Museum of African-American Art, History and Culture in Macon, Georgia. And it looks like they have some really cool programs down there. She had said in her email that it was just a little museum, but they are packing the punch with these programs. If you're in Macon, Georgia, check it out and tell us how it is.
1: And that will bring us to the end of our coverage of Harriet Tubman, the heroine you thought you knew. I'm going to end with a quote. Harriet Tubman often preached the power of persistence. Throughout her career, especially with the Underground Railroad, she offered the following advice, which I now pass on to you. If you are tired, keep going. If you're scared, keep going. If you're hungry, keep going. If you want to taste freedom, just keep going. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks, as always, to Harper Active for letting us use his music. Don't forget to check out our Pinterest board. And the closing song is Worth the Fight by Marie Hines. Used by permission from musically.com. The darkest
2: shades away Happiness, your saving grace Ignorance won't clean the slate Won't find your final rest in place the task at hand, or take a fall where you can stand. Disregard the reprimand, needing more than second hand. There's bigger pictures to paint, more horizons to chase, something Bigger pictures to paint